Thank you for joining us today. This is Expository Insights with Pastor Lyle Wall. Today we are looking at four key principles for building good relationships from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Today we are returning to chapter 1 in John's Gospel. The first week we looked at the introduction, which helps answer the question, Who is Jesus Christ? Then, just before Palm Sunday, the focus shifted to John the Baptist and being a witness. Today, in the last section of chapter 1, the focus transitions back to Jesus. Rather than examine the events in detail or look at the overall lessons from Jesus and John the Baptist, we are going to look at the people in this section and their relationships. Relationships are important to all of us. Significant, meaningful relationships are part of God's design for us, but we know they are not automatic. We see God's design for relationships at the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 2, God declared that it was not good for Adam to be alone. But even more fundamental, we see in the creation of Adam and Eve that God created people to be in relationship with him. And then quickly in the Bible record, we see the importance of family and other relationships. We see the importance of relationships throughout the Bible. For example, Consider the one another and each other statements of the New Testament, which put a large exclamation point on the need for and role of relationships. They tell us we are members of one another. We are to accept one another. We are to love one another. We are to pray for one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to build up one another. We are to submit to one another. We are to forgive one another. We are not to judge one another. We are not to lie to one another. We are to serve one another. We are to admonish one another. We are to bear with one another. Relationships Then there is the Bible's analogy of believers being in relationship to each other as parts of the body. Just as our eyes, ears, hands, and feet are parts of each other and need each other, so each of us are part of each other and need other believers. Relationships Relationships are important, but we know they can be difficult. 38-year-old Judy Bucknell made the news because she was murdered. But it went beyond a brief description of that tragic event in the papers that caught people's attention. The police discovered she kept diaries. Diaries which showed her struggling and tired, trying but failing to connect with others. On the surface, she appeared to be doing well. She was a successful and respected office administrator, wore designer clothes, and had an apartment with a great view. But she was lonely. She wrote, I see people together, and I'm so jealous I want to throw up. What about me? What about me? 
Who is going to love Judy Bucknell? I feel so old, unloved, unwanted, abandoned, used up. I want to cry and sleep forever. Yes, good relationships are important to us, but how do we develop or build them? It seems that Judy Bucknell didn't know how to do that. In this last part of John chapter 1, there are brief but telling descriptions of John the Baptist, his disciples, Jesus and his new disciples, and their relationships. Here we find some of the biblical principles for building good relationships. Every relationship and every part of each relationship needs to be grounded on God's truth. When we don't build and sustain relationships on God's truth, we sabotage good relationships. Think with me about the relationships of John the Baptist, his disciples, and Jesus. Look at verse 35. Again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God! When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. John the Baptist was successful. Crowds streamed to hear him preach. He was the most popular, the most talked-about preacher of that day. The nation's leaders had him on their radar screens, not in a good way, but as one to watch out for, one who could upset the status quo cause them problems. And yet here he takes two of his most dedicated and perhaps closest disciples and points them to Jesus. They leave him and follow Christ. Why did he do this? John knew and built his relationships on the truth that he was not the Christ, not the Messiah. Go back to verse 20 where he told the investigators sent by the religious leaders, I am not the Christ. He went on to tell them that his role was to make the way of the Lord straight, that is, to prepare people for Christ, and that included his disciples. He grounded his relationships on God's truth. So when Jesus began his public ministry, John, knowing the truth of his own role and who Jesus is, had that truth ground and move his attitudes and actions. We see that when he later told his own disciples the truth that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. Because this is familiar to us, we might not see how difficult it could have been for John to see this truth about himself and Jesus and step back from center stage. This has always been difficult. Resistance to stepping back from center stage, from being in the limelight, from being followed, can be very powerful and difficult to overcome at all stages of life, from childhood through retirement. One well-known person in our time said, The thing I'm most afraid of is being alone. It's why we seek the limelight, so we're not alone. The fear of being alone drives my life. 
because John was grounded in the truth, he was not driven to be, to stay in the limelight. He did not fear or reject stepping out of it. Now let's turn to the relationship of Jesus and Nathanael. When Nathanael first came to Jesus, Jesus said, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What an amazing statement! There was no deceit or treachery, nothing false in this man. The word deceit was used of a snare or trap to catch animals, or as bait to catch fish. And so it was used of trickery, false pretenses, and actions. Psalm 32 tells us, How blessed is a person whose guilt the Lord does not take into account, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Question. Can Jesus describe your character and mine this way? Let's go on with verse 48. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Nathanael was sitting under a fig tree when Philip called him to make the trek to meet Jesus. Jesus, though some distance away, knew exactly where Nathanael was. As astonishing as this was to Nathanael, and as bold as his confession about Jesus was, Jesus took the truth farther, telling him that this was just the tip of the iceberg. Nathanael would see greater things, including the truth that Jesus is the bridge between man and heaven. These relationships were grounded on God's truth. What about our relationships? All of our relationships. Do we start with a foundation of truth? Truth in our motives? Truth that goes beyond appearances and accomplishments? Truth in the nature and kind of relationship? Over the years, some people have told me they are praying about a relationship, praying to find God's direction on what to do. In some cases, I have told them, you don't have to pray about that. Before you say, wait a minute, how could you say that? I told them they did not have to pray about that because the Bible speaks clearly to their situation. And then I would point them to what God's Word says. What they should have been praying about was for the courage and faith to do what the Bible says. As we continue in relationships, when push comes to shove in a relationship, do we succumb to the pressure and to take a detour from God's truth, or do we stay the course? Good relationships 
are grounded on God's truth. A second lesson is to take the initiative to establish and then keep good relationships. Many people complain about not having enough satisfactory, let alone good, relationships. Sometimes that's the case because we don't take the initiative to meet, become acquainted with others, and then also to work on relationships. Let's consider three examples in our text of taking the initiative. First, John the Baptist and his disciples. Go to verse 35 again. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. John could have waited for Jesus to come and meet them, or waited for his disciples to ask, Can we? Should we check out this Jesus of Nazareth to see who he is, to see if he might actually be the Messiah that you are talking about? But John took the initiative to put his disciples in contact with Jesus so they could begin a relationship with him. Taking the initiative can be difficult. Yes, for people who are shy, not outgoing, but also for any of us, for all of us, at least at times. Sometimes the uncertainty, even the fear of the what-ifs, can freeze us in place. What if he doesn't understand me? What if she doesn't like me, doesn't want to be my friend? Building a good relationship means taking risks, includes taking the initiative. As the scene develops, we come to our second example, Jesus and John the Baptist's disciples. As the two disciples of John the Baptist began following Jesus, verse 38 says, Jesus turned and saw them following and spoke to them. We know Jesus did not have to turn around to see who was following him. He is God the Son and we just read about his seeing Nathanael under that fig tree, however far away and out of sight he was. Jesus turned around purposefully, taking the initiative. It may sound all very natural to us, but in that time and place, the would-be disciples normally made the first move to establish a relationship, not the rabbi or teacher. The next day, Jesus said to Philip, verse 43, Follow me. Jesus again took the initiative. We can't say, yes, but, yes, but he's Jesus. Remember, Jesus is our example. He expects and enables us to follow his example. Much later in chapter 13, after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, we read that Jesus said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I gave you an example so that you would also do just as I did for you. Jesus expected them to follow his example of being humble servants, to serve each other, to serve others. And he told them he would be with them always, would always enable them to do what he expected them to do. He expects and will enable us to take the initiative to explore, establish, build, and maintain relationships. The account continues to unfold with our third example, Jesus' new disciples reaching out to others. First, there is Andrew, one of those first two disciples of John who started following Jesus. Drop down to verse 41. He first found his own brother, Simon, who we know better as Peter, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Almost from the start, it was Peter who was one of Jesus' key disciples. Then Philip. Pick it up at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets also wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing be from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Both of these new followers took the initiative to introduce others to Jesus, to start a relationship with him. Many relationships never develop as they could because both people are waiting for the other to make the first move. We spent the decade of the 80s in Winnipeg and enjoyed a great relationship with the good people of the church we served. But it almost didn't happen. When the church approached me, apologetically, they said they had thought of us before, but didn't think we would be interested. It took some strong suggestion from people outside of their church for them to take the initiative and contact us. We all were thankful that they did. The need for taking the initiative is also seen repeatedly in misunderstandings and problems. Each person or each group sits back and waits for the other to take the first step. Building good relationships requires taking initiative. A third lesson to building good relationships is to look beyond the surface and to the future. Let's begin with Jesus and Peter. In verse 42, we are told that Jesus looked at Peter. The word looked used here refers to more than a casual glance. It pictures looking carefully, intently, examining carefully, evaluating thoroughly. So another version renders this phrase, looking intently, at Peter. Remember, Peter was a diamond in the rough. The Gospels show him to be impatient and rash. 
wanting to believe, but doubting, boasting, but cowardly. Jesus looked beyond the surface and to the future, to Peter who would be, by God's grace, Peter the Rock, a man of steadfast, solid faith. Then there is Philip and Nathanael. Look at verse 45 again. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets also wrote, Jesus the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good be from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Let's start with Philip. He was an ordinary guy. He was excited about Jesus, believing he was the Messiah, and he wanted Nathanael to join him. But Nathanael asked a tough question. Do you really think the Messiah will come from Nazareth? It's a rather insignificant place. It doesn't seem to fit. Philip did not have a good answer. He could have felt intimidated or discouraged and quietly left. Or felt insulted and said, Suit yourself. It's your loss. But he looked. He went beyond all of that and gave the invitation. Come and see. Then think of Nathaniel himself in this light. When Philip came excited about Jesus, he could have said, There goes Philip again, and returned to his meditation or rest under the fig tree. Or he could have been derailed by his initial surprise or doubt that the Messiah could come out of Nazareth. What he did, however, was to look beyond the surface and go to see. It is both natural and easy for us to look mainly at the surface and present when thinking about a new relationship or the state of an ongoing one. Natural, easy, and wrong. When we look only or mainly at the surface and present, we can reject both giving and receiving blessings that looking deeper and ahead would bring. Or by not considering weaknesses and limits of potential, we can set ourselves up for disappointment. This is true in our relationships with fellow Christians. I have known people who have not remembered that all of us are works in progress, and so have been deeply disappointed with and hurt by others who have been less than perfect. Some have even become cynical and given up on others, have stopped reaching out to others, have stopped responding to others reaching out to them. They have, in the words of one writer, indulged their sorrows, which gives way to all the pangs and fury of despair. Building good relationships requires looking beyond the surface and to the future. The fourth and final lesson here for building good relationships is to guard against competition and jealousy. We start with John the Baptist and Jesus. Think of John's situation. His parents had told him about God's grace in giving him life and his purpose to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
he had lived austerely, including a Nazarite vow. Now throngs of people were listening and responding to his message. He was a success. Then Jesus appears, and everything begins to change. It was one thing to know his purpose, and quite another to fulfill it without feelings of competition or jealousy. Try to put yourself in his place before you think again about his later, matter-of-fact statement, He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. He would no longer be the most popular preacher. The number of people listening to him, following him, would dwindle. And although he didn't know it at the time, he would eventually go to prison and be beheaded. In all of this and more, there is not even the slightest hint of John the Baptist having any spirit of competition and jealousy. Think also about Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter were brothers. How would you like to have gone through life being known as Simon Peter's brother? Perhaps you have had to live in the shadow of a brother, sister, your dad, or mom. Think about Andrew in relation to his brother. It was Andrew who followed first and then brought his brother Peter to Jesus. But Peter was the strong, outgoing one, the natural leader. But Jesus gave Peter a special name. But Peter, with James and John, formed Jesus' inner circle. Andrew fell into the background. There seems to be no recognition that it was he who came to Jesus first and brought Peter to Jesus. And yet there is no hint of competition or jealousy in the Gospels between Andrew and Peter. Do you want to build and sustain good relationships? Guard against competition and jealousy. Good relationships are important. You need them. I need them. We all need them. Judy Bucknell was not alone in her desperation. Many others look at people enjoying good relationships and also ask, What about me? You may be asking that question. This truth we have seen today is for you. It's not an automatic, quick, or easy formula. But these are principles for you which will guide you, truth which God will bless as you live it. Or you may be enjoying good relationships. This truth also is for you. Your good relationships can and will be better as you follow this truth. You can be a blessing to others to help fulfill the need of good relationships as you are open to and actively even sacrificially reach out to them. Thank God for the good relationships you have and have had in the past. Examine yourself and confess thought patterns and specific incidents which violate the truth we have seen today. Ask God to give you courage and discipline to live these four principles so that they are a basic part of who you are. Bow with me in prayer. God, our Father, 
Thank you for creating us to live in relationships, starting with our family and broadening out from there. Thank you for the richness that relationships can bring. Thank you that you are more than able to work in us and those around us to build and keep good relationships. Father, be with each one who has strained and even broken relationships, who may have given up on having good, meaningful relationships. Encourage and enable them to take a step of faith to follow what you have shown us today, all for your glory and our good. Amen.